Well, Cedar Street Baptist Church, can I tell you that I love you? It is great to be back with you here again on the Lord's Day in the Lord's house among the Lord's people as we get ready to open up Mark chapter 1. And this is our sixth week in the first chapter, and we've been savoring God's Word, verse by verse, word by word. And we've talked so many different about so many different elements and things that have to do with Jesus Christ revealing Himself as the Son of God. We've, said, we've talked about the prophecy of Christ and the preparation of Christ and the power of Christ, the commands of Christ, the authority of Christ, His closeness, His compassion, His commitment. And if there's one word that would encompass what we're going to be talking about today, it's going to be priorities, the priorities of Christ and how they should be a reflection in the priorities of our life as well. But before we open up the Word, I prayed about uh, maybe a personal story that I'd like to share with you that I think has personal application to our message today. Can I share a family story with you? I want to share a story about a place that is near and dear to my heart, a place called Betty's Children's Shop. Uh, Betty's Children's Shop, take a look at the picture up there. Uh, Betty's Children's Shop was first started by my grandparents Frank and Betty Fulginetti 65 years ago in the spring of 1951. Uh, Frank and Betty got together and decided that my grandmother had this amazing gift for sales, and my grandfather, though he never graduated from the ninth grade, had this amazing uh, financial savvy. So they went in as partners to start this children's clothing store on 1010 Lincoln Avenue in a little south suburb of Philadelphia, just south of the airport. And for 65 years, they built this legacy uh, that became a permanent fixture in Delaware County, Pennsylvania. My, my Uncle Jimmy and my, my father worked in the store. My father began working in that store in 1970, and then my grandparents sold it to him for $1 in 1982. And my father's been the owner of that business ever since. And when I think about my life, there's so many memories attached to that building, the picture that you see up there on the wall. Um, I can remember when I was a kid, my father used to drag me to fashion shows. Don't know if you know this, but your pastor's a runway model. <laughs> All right. I know it's hard to imagine in my five foot nine, 225 pound physique, but. Uh, when I was a kid, I used to show off all my dad's clothing uh, at fashion shows, and I actually took the word runway seriously. I used to run down the runway and run back, and my father would yell at me. They said, they can't see what you're wearing. I said, but it's called a runway. So I went to fashion shows. We also had many famous customers that we got to know over the years. There was a woman named Sandy Burkle who worked there for many years. Uh, after she was a customer, she started working, and every year she would, she would change all the display windows in the store. And one year, uh, when I was in college, I came home for the summer, and this was the year that Tiger Woods won his first Masters, and my dad was selling green blazers. And I stole one from the back and snuck into the window and put it on a mannequin and taped a cardboard box to the back of the mannequin's head that said, I am Tiger Woods. She was not very happy with that. Said it, uh, I got rebuked for that. Um, so many wonderful memories. Even the building itself above the shop was an apartment where my grandparents had raised my father and my Uncle Jimmy, and I spent many summers staying up there. In fact, your youth pastor and my best friend of 30 years and I had so many wonderful memories. I remember one Saturday night him coming up those 15 stairs to the, uh, to the second floor and introducing me to a young lady named Liz Weeks, who is now Liz Hoger, by the way. And uh, what did we do? We, uh, we played Monopoly, ate cold pizza, and listening to Otis Redding's greatest hits till 3 o'clock in the morning, and I whispered in his ear, I think you found yourself a keeper. <laughs> so many wonderful memories attached to that building. So why am I bringing all this up today as we're talking about priorities? Well, earlier this year, my dad shared with me that he was getting ready to sell the business and retire. And so 
For the first time in 65 years, that building will be inhabited by someone who is not a full Genetti. And I said to my father, I said, whenever you get ready to sell that business, there's only one thing I want from that business. And he said, what's that? I said, I want the clock that's hanging on the wall. Look at that beautiful clock. That clock has hung in the same spot for over 60 years, and it has never stopped working. That, that, that neon light still works, that, that keeps good time, minutes, seconds. And uh, you know what? I actually brought it with me here to Metter, Georgia. It is in my closet in the pastor's office. It's going to go on my wall here very shortly. And I wanted to hang it on my wall to remind me of three things. Number one, I want it to remind me of how God has put his rich hand of blessing on my family for over 65 years that that one store could provide so much for so many different people. Number two, I want it to remind me of the blessings and challenges of working one time or a long time in the same place. Uh, My father's, again, been working in the store since 1970, and there's something to be said about a man who gets up and goes to the same place for 46 years. Now, I've shared with you my passion and my my prayer that I would be here for 30 years as your pastor, and I don't know what God has in store, but I want to be able to look up at that clock and know that my father and my grandparents looked up at that same clock every day and made a commitment. When they said they were going to be somewhere, they were there, and when they said they were going to do something, they did it. And so there's a third thing that is on my heart and mind as to why I want to hang up that clock in the pastor's office, because every single day, my grandparents would look up at that clock, and my father would look up at that clock when they opened up the store, and then eventually when they would close the store, and there were so many things that seemed so important at the time they were looking up at that clock, but you know what? In a month and a half, my father is going to sign over the entire building to a woman whom I've never met, And she's going to walk into that building, and within a few weeks, she's going to paint over everything that has my family's name on it. And that building is going to be nothing more than another building standing on the side of the road. But the question is, what did we do when the seconds and the minutes ticked off that clock that have eternal value? Because someone's going to come into my pastor's office one day, and they're going to take that clock off of my wall. And what I do with the minutes and seconds while I am in that office, while I am serving in this ministry better have eternal value in God's heavenly kingdom because if it's not, it won't, it won't add up to anything when I walk out of that office for the very last time. So as we talk today about priorities of a kingdom builder, let me pose this question to you. What is your life building towards? What is your life building towards? What's the main focus of your life right now and what will, be, what will you be building towards that is still around after the seconds and the minutes uh, tick off of your clock? Because we all have a clock. All right, mine's an actual physical one, but we all have a clock, and we don't know how many minutes and seconds are on it, but I can promise you it will stop ticking eventually, and when it does, what you've done for Jesus Christ and his kingdom is the only thing that will last. So how do we know what it is that we're supposed to be doing? Well, praise God, we have a Lord and Savior who went before us and has shown us what our priority should be as kingdom builders. You see, Jesus Christ is God who took on human flesh and he roamed this earth for 33 short years. Think about the most significant life in the history of humanity. Fully God, fully man, but in his humanity he lived for 33 years. But what did he accomplish in such a short period of time? Thousands of years later, he is still the most talked about person in human history, even those who don't believe in him. Because he kept his priorities in order. He had one specific purpose. He was sent to redeem God's people from sin in order to establish God's heavenly kingdom here on earth. In order to fulfill this purpose in such a short earthly life, Christ always kept his priorities in order 
as a kingdom builder. As we look here in a moment at Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 39, I want us to look at three of the top priorities of Christ's ministry and then examine our own hearts to see if we have made these kingdom building priorities the same priorities in our own life as well. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me. Again, we'll be in Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 39. And if you would stand out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, and errant word. Let's read God's word together. We're in Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 39. Hear the word of the Lord, starting in verse number 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Let us pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. And Father, we thank you and praise you for this day. Father, I pray in our time this morning as we we dine upon your word, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move, would work in our minds and in our hearts and on my tongue, that all the honor and glory would be yours today, Father, as we talk about building your kingdom and what your Son has done to establish this kingdom and what he has shown us and how we can keep our priorities in order to partake in the building of this kingdom. Father, I pray that you'd be with us in this time, that you'd have our hearts and minds focused on you and the eternity that you are preparing for those who love you. So, Father, I pray that you'd help us to be good stewards of the time and that your Holy Spirit would do what we cannot do, that hearts would be changed and lives changed as well. It's in Jesus' name we pray and God's people said, amen. So as we walk through the text here this morning, I want to take a moment and repeat a concept that we've started talking about here on Sunday mornings. And last Sunday night, for those that were here, we went a little bit deeper and talked more about. If you've ever been in church, you've heard the the concept or the phrase kingdom of God. Okay, We're building God's kingdom, God's kingdom, God's kingdom. We can spend decades uttering these words when we don't stop and think about what they mean. Now, I touched on this a few weeks ago, but let me take it a step further. What do I mean when I say kingdom of God? Well, as Southern Baptists, we have our Baptist faith and message, and in 2000, that, that, that faith and message was updated, and Article 9 defines the kingdom of God. Let me read you just the very beginning of that article. The article says, the kingdom of God includes both his general sovereignty over the universe and his particular kingship over men who willfully acknowledge him as king. So let me break that down and put those cookies on the bottom shelf so that we know what the kingdom of God is. So the first part of that says general sovereignty. This means that God is sovereignly in full control of all things past, present, and future in this world. He is in control of everything. And so there is an aspect where we are part of God's kingdom. But the Bible says this world that we live in is a kingdom of darkness, is it not? I mean, God is in full control, but God is not the author of sin, yet sin is running wild in this world. Now, God is still in full control. He can stop the devil at any time. He can stop us from sinning at any time. And in the new heavens and the new earth, we will not even be capable of sinning for those of us who've placed our faith in Jesus Christ. So there's an idea that God is generally in control of all things, but this is not the full kingdom of God. 
because we talked about when sin entered the world and Adam and Eve were in the garden, that was the full kingdom of God. They were under his control and reign, and, but they were also obedient to his commands. And when they became disobedient, God kicked them out of the garden into the wilderness. And we've been living in the wilderness ever since, desperately trying to reunite with our creator where sin has separated us and Jesus is bringing us back together again. So the deeper meaning of the kingdom of God means God's redeemed people through the blood of Jesus Christ where Jesus is king in our lives and in our hearts. So right now we would say the kingdom of God mostly is a spiritual realm. It is a present reality with a future hope. The present reality is, for those who are Christians, we live according to his word, and we live in obedience under his kingship. Jesus is the king of my life. The things that I say, think, and do should come under his kingship. I want to do what Jesus wants me to do. Now, I'm a sinner, and I fall short of that, but my goal is to follow him. He's my king. But there will come a day at the second coming of Jesus Christ where that spiritual reality will become a physical reality. The Bible says the heavens and the earth will collide into one. Those who've placed their faith in Jesus Christ will rise from the dead. They will receive beautiful new resurrected bodies, and we will live on a resurrected earth forever. And God's kingdom will be fully established. Right now, the kingdom has not been fully established. We are building it, and we're building it through the local church. All right, since the very beginning of the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ after Pentecost, when God sends down his Holy Spirit, the first church is established, and God's kingdom is starting to become a reality. All right, and from those small churches in Jerusalem, the kingdom got bigger and bigger and bigger, and now local churches all over the world are living under the kingship of Jesus Christ, but we're not there yet. We're building the kingdom before Jesus comes back to fully establish it. And God will hand out very special rewards for those who have been obedient to him and have been partaking of building up that kingdom here on earth. So what are we doing between now and what's to come? We live in what's called the already and the not yet. The already aspect of our faith is that we've been saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. We've been sealed in the Holy Spirit. Our eternal life is a promised gift been offered to us through Jesus Christ but we haven't received it yet. We're we're not living in resurrected bodies on a resurrected earth just yet, but between now and then, we're called to build the kingdom, to take the gospel to all four corners of the earth, to share the good news of Jesus Christ, and for those who are born-again believers, to disciple them to be followers of Christ in every aspect of their lives. That's what it means to live and build in the kingdom of God. So what's our role? Well, Matthew 6.10 in the famous Lord's Prayer, it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's kingdom is being established through the local church where God in Christ is reigning in the hearts of his redeemed people where he will one day return to make his spiritual reality a physical reality for all of eternity. So if Jesus Christ was focused on building the kingdom of God, What do we need to prioritize in our lives to be kingdom builders? Well, the first of those three things that I'd like to share with you here this morning is this. Number one, kingdom builders prioritize communion with God. Verse 35 says this, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Now, let me stop there in just that one verse and pause 
for a minute. Again, I think in our Bible studies, we gloss over these verses as throwaway verses that get us to other parts of the passage, but every single verse has so much meat on the bone. Look at verse 35. Let me stop in the very first words, rising very early. There's something to be said about a person of God who decides to give God the first fruits of every one of their days. Now, let me not make this a legalistic rule to say every single human being needs to get up at 4 a.m. and begin time in prayer. Our body clocks are all different. Our life situations are a lot different. But generally speaking, we see over and over in Scripture again men and women of God who got away to a quiet place first thing in the morning and devoted their time to God. There's something about giving God the first fruits of your day before the noise starts starts coming in and and the problems and the issues and the frustrations and and the to-do lists that start piling up. Beginning the day with God, in communion with Him, loving Him and praising Him and praying to Him and reading His Word and allowing Him to speak to our hearts to show us what it is that he, He would have us to do on this very day to build His kingdom. There's something special about those early morning hours. Something special about those hours. Not only rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, it says he departed and went to a desolate place. Not only do we need to get up and spend time with God, we need to get to a quiet place where we can be alone with God. There needs to be a time in our day where even the ones that we love... Now, I do believe in family devotion. I think it's a very important and missed part of the church. But in addition to family devotion, there needs to be a time in your day where you get alone and it's nobody but you and God. And you are spiritually naked before Him, confessing sins, asking for the power of His Holy Spirit, reading His Word, and asking Him to show, it, to show us where it is that He would have us to work this very day, on this very earth, where He's planted us. A desolate place. I believe solitude is a spiritual discipline. Silence drives certain people crazy. But it is in the silence that we hear God the most. God God does speak through storms. But I believe the primary way in which God speaks is through the whispers. Getting to a quiet place. Allowing God to speak to us. We suffer from the disease of busyness. In America in 2016, we've got ourselves in one busy mess. And you know something? One of the reasons I love in living in Metter, Georgia, this is the least busy of all the places I've lived, and yet it's still busier than it probably should be. We have to stop, get quiet, and listen. We have to pray and make prayer a priority. Think about this. If Jesus is fully God and fully man as the Son of God and prayer to the Father was a priority in His life, how much more should it be a priority in ours? You know, when I think about the priority of prayer, Jesus, even in the book of Mark, we see in this gospel specific times where Christ prayed right before significant things happen. Okay, in this passage, we see Him preparing to pray before He preaches all over Galilee. In Mark chapter 6, verse 46, Jesus prays before walking on the water. In Mark chapter 14, verses 32 through 42, Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane before the Roman soldiers take him away and he gets ready to be crucified for our sins and be raised to walk in newness of life. 
before all of those things happened, Jesus was in prayer. So why is it that we get up, and I'm speaking to myself here because I've had seasons of real struggle with this, why is it that we get up and think that we can do what Jesus himself could not do without prayer? What was Christ praying for, by the way? Well, we know he's not a sinner, so he wasn't praying prayer of confession, although we, our sinners, should have confession in our daily prayers. But he was praising God, and I believe he was asking God to empower him to fulfill his purpose on this earth. Again, he only lived on this planet for 33 years, and oh, what he accomplished in just 33 short years on this earth because he kept his priorities in order, and he knew his purpose. He knew his purpose. Let me say this uh, before we move on to our second point. I, I just want to confess to you, I think sometimes we, we put pastors and ministers on pedestals and we think, man, they got it all together. When it comes to quiet time, it has been a constant struggle for me to make this a daily ritual in my life. You know what brought me great comfort a couple of months before I came here at the seminary? We had uh, Dr. David Platt, who is the president of the International Mission Board. Most of you know him from the Christian bestseller book, Radical. Well, he came to speak to my uh, preaching class. And we had question and answer afterwards, and everybody was asking him all these preaching techniques. And I said, I got a question completely separate from all that. What's your personal quiet time with God like? How often do you pray, and how often do you, do you read God's Word and spend time in personal worship with Him? And he smiled, and he said, it's amazing to me that God blessed me the way that He has without me doing that on a daily basis. He said, there was a whole season of my life. Now, this is a best-selling Christian author. This is the president of the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. He led a church at Brook Hills in Alabama, several thousand members, one of the most gifted preachers of our time. And he said, Bo, I'm telling you, God blessed me despite myself for a whole season. And he said, and now I don't want to leave my knees in the morning because of all that God has put on my shoulders to serve him. I can't do it without God. It blessed me to know he struggled with it. And if David Platt can struggle with prayer in the Bible reading, then, then I can be, have comfort to know that it is a struggle. But I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to quit. All right? We need to know that quiet time with God is not some superficial thing that we do on a checklist so that God will bless us. That's not what quiet time is. It is exactly what those last three words on that slide say. Communion with God. God created you for fellowship with him. Sin has gotten in the way, and Jesus has restored us through the forgiveness of our sins and the washing of his blood. And the number one gift that he's given us is the fact that we can commune with the one who created us. Kingdom builders prioritize communion with God. Let me say as a point of application, if you don't have a time, a place, and a purpose, you make this almost impossible to happen. All right, Jesus had a time early in the morning, a place, it was a desolate place, and a purpose, preparation, and communion with God to go out and preach in all of Galilee. All right, quiet time with God doesn't just happen. Most of you have children or grandchildren, some of you very young children. I've got a very young child on the way, and that's going to change things. Schedules change. Sometimes you can't get up at 5 o'clock in the morning. Sometimes it's 6 o'clock at night. Sometimes it's right after you put the kids to bed. Whatever the case may be, in a season of life where you change those things up, find a time, find a place, and find a purpose to pray and read God's word and commune with him. 
I've been so blessed to hear there are many people in our church right now walking through the Bible in a yearly reading plan. And I've heard person after person tell me what a blessing that's been because you don't have to spend time figuring out what it is that you're going to read on that given day. You're going to read God's Word. You're going to read it according to the plan in the same place at the same time. And it puts you in a position to build this spiritual discipline of communion with God because it is a discipline. And I'll tell you why. Because before your feet hit the floor in the morning, you've got three enemies that don't want you spending time with God. And those three enemies are the world, the flesh, and the devil. And all three of those enemies are waging war against you, saying, I don't want you going to the source of all power and the source of all comfort. I want you to try to do it on your own power instead of his power. Think about those things in your own life. Let me say also that uh, on Sunday nights, we've been walking through the Baptist faith and message, and we have about two more weeks before we complete that. And after that, we're going to begin a new two-month series on what is called the spiritual disciplines, the disciplines of prayer and Bible reading and solitude and journaling and all of these other things that maybe you've done or, or haven't done in a long time. I pray that you make, a, make, make an appointment to come and be with us on Sunday nights as we walk through those things because all of us have great ideas, things that have worked for us. And I want to hear things that have worked for you, things that have enabled you to have more quiet time with God. So join us on Sunday nights if you can. That would be great. But number one, kingdom builders prioritize communion with God. Number two, kingdom builders prioritize the mission of God. Look at verses 36 through 38. It says, starting in verse 36, And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. Now let's stop there and look at the very beginning of that passage where Simon, okay, this is Peter. He's the leader and he's showing his leadership here in the very beginning of these passages in Mark chapter 1. He goes running after Jesus and he says, everyone's looking for you. You've created a buzz with your your preaching and your healing. Come back and see all these people who are so enamored with you. It would like, it's like he was saying, do you know how many people are praising you for all of these signs and wonders? And then all of a sudden, Jesus says, all right, well, let us go on to the next towns. At that point, I'm sure Simon Peter and everyone else is saying, no, 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 you, don't, you didn't hear me. Everybody here is praising you. They want, they want more of you. Come back and share more. And he's saying, no, mm-mm. I'm, I'm moving on. I've shared the gospel. I've displayed the gospel. And now I've got to take this gospel and spread it all over Galilee. He did not come for human adulation. He came to save souls. He came to reveal himself as the Son of God. You know, Jesus has a way of doing this in the Scriptures where he says something completely opposite of what the people think he's going to say. I I thought of just two stories in particular. In John chapter 11, at the resurrection of Lazarus, if you remember this story, you had Mary and Martha and Lazarus. They were brothers and sisters, and Jesus loved them dearly. Well, when Jesus finds out that Lazarus is sick, it says in John chapter 11, verses 5 through 6, it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place that he was. That doesn't sound like it makes any sense. They told him, you need to go see Lazarus. He's sick. And Jesus says, because I love him, I'm I'm, I'm not going to see him. I'm going to wait here two days longer that he will actually pass away. And it leads up to John chapter 11, verse 25, when, when Martha says basically, well, I know at the second resurrection that I'll see him again. And he says, no, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. 
So Jesus had a mission, and the mission did not make much sense to the people at that time. But he always had his eyes fixed on eternity. He had his eyes fixed on these priorities. I mean, how about the prophecy of his own crucifixion and resurrection? In Matthew chapter 16, Simon Peter reveals that he believes that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Chosen One. And Jesus says to him, flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. But the funny thing is, the very next passage, then in in Matthew 6, 21, it says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised again. So Jesus is telling all of them, okay, now that you know I'm the son of God, you need to know what's going to happen to me. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to get persecuted. I'm going to get flogged. I'm going to get killed. And on the third day, I'm going to rise again. And what does Peter say? Peter says in verse 22, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And then Jesus responds in verse 23, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Over and over and over in the Scriptures, Jesus has a tunnel vision on the kingdom of God and His purpose on this earth, and He keeps His priorities in order. And over and over and over again, people are telling Him, hey, you need to come back here and, and talk to these people over here who love you, who, who love your preaching and your healing. And He says, nope, moving on to the next town. And then when Jesus says, I'm going to die in Jerusalem, he's, you know, Peter's saying, no, 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 you can't go there. We can't, that can't happen to you. And He's saying, nope, that's why I came. He kept his eyes focused on building the kingdom and on the purpose that God gave him as the Son of God to redeem us from our sins, to rise on the third day and offer us eternal life, to ascend to the Father, to send down his Spirit, and one day to return again and establish this heavenly kingdom on earth. So what about us? Kingdom builders prioritize the mission of God. So what is it that we're called to do? How do we prioritize the mission of God in our life? Well, We've talked about it week after week, all right? Evangelism and missions, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ so that others will come to salvation, discipling others who are a part of the kingdom of God, getting into the local church and serving in some capacity with a gift that God has given you that he hasn't given anybody else. What, is, what, what mission is your life building towards right now? All right, that's what I, I asked at the very beginning of this message. And think about this for a moment. All of us have these immediate personal goals, and by themselves, there's nothing wrong with these goals. All right, some of these goals may be reaching your ideal weight, becoming a scratch-par golfer, planning the perfect vacation, enjoying a long retirement, seeing your kids become a grown success, finding the perfect spouse that you think will complete your life, or having just a little bit more money in that savings account. All these things are not wrong by themselves, but if that is the focal point of your life and that's the kingdom that you're building towards, you're building towards something that will not last. There's nothing wrong with those things unless it's the focus of your life, unless it's what you spend most of your time thinking about and building towards. One day, every single thing that I just mentioned on that list will be taken away from you. We sang today in that song, Blessed Be Your Name. He gives and takes away. He gives and takes away. Blessed be his name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What he's given you, he's given to you for a short period of time. But he'll take it away. And when he takes it away, his name is still to be blessed because the time will have been served and the purpose fulfilled. But are you doing what God's called you to do in that time? Are you prioritizing the mission of God? I love this 
this poem, I won't read the whole poem, but just one stanza. Uh, some of our golden agers have probably grown up hearing this poem. It's Only One Life from C.T. Studd. And the stanza goes like this. Only one life, twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I am dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has burned out for thee. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So that leads me to my third and final point. Kingdom builders prioritize obedience to God. Let me read the final verse here, verse 39. And he went through all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Now, without that third point, obedience, okay, communion and mission fall short. Because you can spend time with God, and you can know the mission of God, but if you're not obedient to God, you've not done what God has called you to do. All right? I think a lot of the times our problem is not necessarily that we don't know what to do, is that we know what to do, but we're not doing it. All right? I'm not scared of the things that I don't know. I'm scared of the things that I do know, but I'm not doing well or doing it all. God's called us to be obedient. And again, let me say in a church, in every church, there are so many special gifts in this room. So many unique things. It's amazing to watch. And now for my first time as a pastor in the past two months, just looking around and thinking about how special these gifts are, that God makes you different than everybody else. I was reading this in my devotional time, in my quiet time earlier this week. In Exodus chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, there's a passage where they're talking about building the tabernacle. And it says... Uh, there's a um, Bezalel, this man of God. It said, The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. And listen to this in verse 3. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood to work in every craft. I love that. This Old Testament passage, it says God uniquely gives a man his spirit to give him ability and intelligence and knowledge and craftsmanship just to build the tabernacle, just to craft out the gold, to craft out the wood. Every single person in this room has a gift, and this church needs that gift to build his kingdom through this church and through other churches in this community. God does not call you to love him and to know him without serving him. So I would pray as we draw to a close here that you would allow God to search your heart and show you areas in your life where you could serve. All right, Maybe there is an area where you are serving and you don't think it it means much to this church, and I hope this would be an encouragement to you that it does. But maybe there's an area in the church that you're gifted to serve in and you haven't been doing it. I don't know what that gifting is. As God placed it upon your heart, I promise you we will find a place for you at this church to serve. I can promise you that. But whatever the case may be, God's called us to be kingdom builders. Okay, that leads to our conclusion, and our conclusion is this. Jesus built a kingdom through maintaining priorities that would help accomplish God's sovereign will. Do your priorities reflect Christ's as a kingdom builder? Do you commune with him? Do you know his mission? And are you obedient to that mission as well? Jesus Christ, as we says, the title of our sermon series is Jesus Is. He is the Son of God. He is the one who came to save us from our sins and establish his kingdom here on earth. But he's called us to help build until he comes back again. And do we have the priorities to build 
according to his purpose. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you. Father, I thank you and I praise you for your word, your written word, the scriptures, and your word made flesh, Jesus Christ. For your word shows us, Father, what it is that you've called us to do as followers of your Son. As you establish your kingdom, Father, in our hearts, in one day in the new heavens and the new earth. Father, I pray that you would show us where we can serve, where we can build this kingdom. Help us to remember the, the image of that clock, Father. For we know that clock will stop ticking. And only what we've done for your son will last. So, Father, I pray for anyone in this room who does not know your son, that they would surrender to his lordship, receive his forgiveness and redemption, and begin participating in the building of his kingdom. And for anyone who does know your son, Father, that they would grow stronger and more passionate about building up this kingdom. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said, amen.